Good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church, uh, Northern California version. We did the Baja California uh, version this last week, and um, man, the video is amazing, and, and thanks to Consolo for putting that together, and uh, like Jan said, we'll have more of an update with more stuff uh, later, but um, man, it was just such a great experience, and uh, we can't do it without you, so thank you, Rock Bible Church, uh, in a year where most everything's been shut down and our ability to function just as a church sometimes is in question for us to be able to have the funds and the ability to go down. Um, I know Jan joked, hey, if you feel like you missed out, you could still go kind of thing, but um, please don't feel like you missed out. Because uh, having a church is the only way we do this. And if it wasn't for you guys and a base camp for us to launch from, then uh, um, it wouldn't happen. And then I wouldn't be emotional. Um, I thought I got all my crying out this week, but apparently... <laughs> You're in for a long morning. So um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was wonderful to see Sergio. I just want to give you a quick update um, on Sergio. Some of you know uh, several weeks ago we made an announcement and uh, took an offering for Sergio because uh, his brother Ruben uh, had passed. And uh, funeral expenses and all that kind of stuff. And we asked you guys as a congregation, can we donate towards helping him? And so both services, we took an offering and the whole thing. Um, we asked for $2,000, and you guys came back with 7500 So um, just more evidence that Rock Bible Church people don't listen. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, uh, such a blessing to be able to be there with Jan and hand him that envelope and say, uh, take care of Reuben's wife and his kid. You know, cover all the expenses, and then there's extra to provide for them for a while. So uh, there's a lot of crying. I know you saw a video with, like, cement and walls and stuff like that, but there were some other great uh, ministry moments, emotion, conversation, um, that were priceless and impossible to duplicate or explain. Um, but more of a thank you, officially, because even sitting in a seat, you make church happen, right? Uh, this is a great example of how do you define church, right? What is church? There's so many different ways to explain that. Uh, one is... Number one is it's God, and we got to experience that this week, so thanks. And now I'm going to try to take a few deep breaths uh, and say, uh, you, if you, might, you might have missed out, you know, and I said, don't feel like you missed out because you participated, but you didn't get tacos if you didn't go. And man, oh, such a great time. And uh, being with those families, the last day when we pass out the keys to the two families, you saw Malesio and his wife, and then you saw Lorento uh, and his wife and the three boys. Um, both sites, because we had two builds, again, 
um, those families put on lunch the last day. They make us one of their own traditional meals. And um, there ain't a restaurant that could duplicate it. It was, it was amazing. So um, at our site, we got fried chicken, Mexican-style fried chicken with pico de gallo and rice and beans and, and tortillas. And, and, and I almost didn't come home. I almost just stayed there. So, uh, so it was great. But hey, let's um, let's get into the, this morning. We're going to pray in a second and start our uh, our lesson time in Luke chapter twenty four, and we're going to continue the passage from last week. We did Easter last week, and thank you so much for being part of that. I mean, it was packed both services, indoor, outdoor. And we did the distancing and the masking and all that stuff, um, but it was just great to feel like people were at church again. Um, and so what, what, a, what a blessing. But we talked about uh, the beginning of Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses of Luke's version of what happened on Easter morning. And, and I want to pick up exactly where we left off, verse 13. It's the same day. Uh, the ladies have been to the tomb. They've come back and reported to the, the disciples. Uh, a couple of the disciples at least have run off to the tomb to check out, is this true? And we're later in that same day. And I want us to talk about what, is, what does life look like after Easter? Uh, last week we talked about looking for life because these ladies showed up at the tomb looking for death, but really the angel said, yeah, you think you're looking for death. You're really looking for life. Why? Because he is risen. There you go. All right, good, good. just like good first service people. Um, and so uh, that's looking for life. Once it's over and you know that things have changed, well, what does life look like then? How do we proceed? Their whole world had been rocked, shaken, flipped upside down, and then sprawled out all over. And how do they pick up the pieces? It's a great question for us because it's the world we live in. We live in the post-Easter era, and all the rules are the same as they were back then. So that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning, uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and we'll pray first. Lord, thanks for this week, and thank you for the opportunities that we had uh, with Dennis and Debbie, with Sergio, and, and the rest of the staff and team down there, uh, but especially, Lord, with these two families, the Boras family, Malesio's family. Thank you for the opportunity we have to go back in a couple months and finish off doubling the size of what we just built. Pray, Lord, that it would be a window into how you provide your provision. And then, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would do work in each of us. Help us to question how you provide for each of us. How important is it for us to continue the faith, regardless of circumstances, no matter what's going on, to believe in you and act like it? So we thank you for that, Lord. We pray this morning would help us in that process, that we might uh, hear truth, read truth, think about, interpret, understand. What have you said? What did you do? And I pray that you would show us uh, in this passage from the moments right after Easter, how we can begin to function. How do we see things? 
What basis do we use for discernment? So I pray that you would do that here. Bless this time, this passage, your teaching, Lord. And we pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 13, that very day, I just told you what day it was. What day was it? It's Easter. It's still Easter. I know it's a week later here today, but we're talking about last Sunday. It's that very day, and it has to be later in the afternoon or, or at least late morning because of what we're going to hear. Some time must have passed. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Two of them. Who's them? Nope, it's not the disciples, because they're going to go back and say to the 11, again, uh, Luke did, this to, did that to us the first 12 verses. The ladies came back and reported to the 11, so we know the disciples weren't part of the ladies that went initially to the tomb. Here we have the same thing, same writing style. It's only a couple sentences later, right? And he says, and two of them, and they're not named. In fact, I'm not sure we ever get their name. Hard to know. Who's that? Why weren't they named? Aren't they important? Shouldn't they have a banner? Shouldn't there be a church, you know, First Church of Frederico? I don't know who, who it was. We don't have names for them. Uh, they weren't named. Why? Because that's not the important part of the story. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. I think it says, yeah, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. A little bit of a hike, but not too far. Well within a day's journey to get there, do your business and get back home, which is exactly what's going to happen in this passage. But what do you think is most important? It can't be who they are because they're not even named. Our attention must be meant to draw to something else. Let's find out what that something else is. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. You bet that's an understatement. They're freaking out. They're having a big, long, probably heated, very detailed, confused at some level. What just happened? You ever come out of a, a situation where it went totally different than you thought and you walked out of it and you said, what just happened? I remember uh, coming out of a, a meeting at the big church in Little Rock. It was a meeting on the third floor, not the first floor. First floor is where all of us youth pastor people hung out and our staff and all our equipment, you know. Up on the third floor, that's where the important stuff happened. I say that a little bit sarcastically, but with a full heart. We got called to a meeting upstairs on the third floor, and we sat down in that meeting, and nothing went the way that I thought it was going to go. My boss, the guy that was with me, nothing went the way he wanted it to go. In fact, it was very clear we were on the hot seat, and it was really hot seat. We come out of that meeting, get in the elevator, and I remember the elevator doors closing on the third floor. And as soon as they touched, I turned to them and said, what just happened? Are we in trouble? Because that sounded like we were in trouble. 
I think that's the kind of conversation that these guys were having. What just happened? Are we in trouble? Or, or are we not in trouble? How are we to interpret what we saw on the cross, what we saw they did to Jesus, but now the body's gone and the stoners roll? That shouldn't happen. Like, where do we go from here? This is a heavy conversation. And while they were talking and discussing together, again, it's they and them, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. By the way, there's another them in there. Got to make sure we point out all the lack of definitive direction on who these people were. But we did get a name, finally. What's Luke think is most important that it needs to be named? Jesus. Isn't it fun when you're at church and they ask a question and the answer is actually Jesus? <laughs> Luke wants us to understand not who Jesus appeared to, because they would have. They would have named churches after the guys, wouldn't they? And it would be first church of this and first church of that, and which one did Jesus like better? And oh, he was named first, so he must, right? There would have been all kind of weirdness about it. Instead, Luke says, hey, uh, Jesus came back. That's really meant to get our attention. Why? Please tell me that we understand the excitement of Easter, crucifixion, stone gone, body missing, and what did we just find? We just found the body. Did we? Right? Hey, so-and-so is missing, and they haven't found the body. Right? Usually, how's that end? Oh, they found the body in a... Uh, you know, remote area of some, da, da, da. no. How'd they find this body? He walked up on them. Hey guys, what's going on? Huh? Now they don't know it's him. And this is why I know God has a sense of humor and he's funny, right? Which is important because you can have a sense of humor, but you're not really funny. You've met that guy, right? Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Very interesting the way that's said. They were kept from recognizing. Who kept them from recognizing? God? Who, who has that kind of control? I only know of one being. Which begs the question now, because now I'm rabbit trailing and I'm doing ADD. I'm not a diagnosed as it, but I think I have a healthy amount. Does he have the ability to keep me from recognizing things? Ooh, how often does he do that? And it must be on purpose. Why would he keep me from seeing things? Interesting. Let's find out why he kept them from seeing something. He said to them, verse 17, what is this conversation you're holding <laughs> with each other as you walk? What, what are you talking about? Hey, what are you talking about? Right? That's what he said. And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas. Oh, we got his name way later. Why did we get his name way later? I already told you, right? 
The focus meant to be on Jesus. Answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? How have you not heard what's gone on? Right? And he said to them, what things? Now, I have to clarify, because I'm um, I'm in perpetual war with those who uh, question the integrity of Scripture and the position of God. Is Jesus actually confused about what things just happened? Or is he leading the witness? He's leading the witness, okay? Is Luke clear? Yes. Is Jesus clear? Yes. Who are the only ones who have been kept from recognizing? Cleopas and the other dude, right? That's his name for now. Uh, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. That's a pretty good sentence, isn't it? I, I kind of like that sentence. I, I'm, I'm hoping that if there's a test and there's a question like that, that I could come up with that kind of answer on the spot, right? Guy rolls up. Hey, what's going on? What happened? Uh, uh, that's the test, right? Let's go back to this uh, verse because I want to I see it and see what it says. Uh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, true statement? Yeah. A man, true statement, uh, who was a prophet, okay, mighty in deed and word, before God and all people, dead accurate, and yet still missing something. What's it missing? Some kind of recognition of he was the Messiah, for he was God's only son, sent by God the Father. Or at least say, and we're trying to figure out if he was more than just those things. Right? Because when we start talking about God's status, all those things listed there become just those things. They're kind of cute on the side compared to being God. And that's a piece that, got, that was left out, right? They don't know who they're talking to, and so they're doing the best they can, right? Next slide, uh, verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Again, all true statements. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Ooh. Now we got the confession. We had hope, past tense, completed action. They're not hoping that anymore. So what have they just denied? We think he wasn't the one. They've just denied that Christ was the the Messiah or God, maybe, because it seems like it didn't work, right? Not their fault. Good confession, not their fault. Because remember, they were kept from recognizing Right, which, by the way, I want to make sure I don't forget this. I almost forgot this and was going to become a second service extra. Who also now has been kept from recognizing? How about the chief priests and the rulers who delivered him up to can be condemned and death and crucified? Were they kept from recognizing? On some level, they had to be. We have to be very careful about what we say in judgment of those people or how we look at Pontius Pilate or Judas or anybody that makes a mistake, even up to a couple seconds ago, and off into the far distant future of yours. 
People are going to make us make mistakes. You might ask the question, has God kept them from recognizing something? Because I'm a firm believer that he's keeping me from recognizing more and more every day. I'm more and more in the dark than I've ever been. And I'm kind of enjoying it. I say kind of in exact truth. Not fully enjoying it. Not hating it either. Just kind of in the middle. What if it was meant for us to start to enjoy what he's kept from us and spend time on what he's actually given us? Like maybe the names of who the boys are? I'll tell you who Cleopas was, but I'm going to tell you later. Why? Because right now I want you to focus on Jesus. Absolutely love that in the writing of the passage, there is the same theme as in the story itself. Brilliant. Uh, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. It's over, over. But watch this. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, how are they telling this story? What's the tone in their voice? I would love to know. I wish I was there. I wish we had a video of that. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. We got the testimony of women, and it was accurate. Didn't know what to do with that, and really don't know what to do with can't find the body. Now, do you recognize the dripping irony of what's going on here? Who are they talking to? The body they couldn't find. And they're explaining to the body they couldn't find that they couldn't find him, but they don't know it. I'm, there should be a comedy show about this. This is so great. <laughs> and verse 25. And he said to them, accurately, I might add, oh, foolish ones, <laughs> and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Isn't this what was supposed to happen? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They had a seven-mile walk. They had some time. Covered a lot of ground with God himself, explaining to him how this is meant to make sense. Wish I was on that walk. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him. Now, I am confused, literally, what's going on right here why does he project that he's going to go farther hey guys i'll see you later i'm going farther and then they say no why don't you stay with us 
and then he stays with him. Was he really going farther? Apparently not, because the passage tells us he wasn't planning on going farther. So why would he project that? Is he lying to them? <gasps> Some would like to say that. Or is he keeping something from their recognition again to see what they'll do? That's where I'm going with it in my confusion. I'm going to project that I'm going to go farther. I want to see what these guys do. Hey, no, no, no. Hey, stranger, come with us. Stay. It's dark. It's getting late. Come stay. We'll eat. You know, let's, let's take care of you. Probably because they wanted to learn more. If you're getting the best teaching of your life, you want to stay, right? Urged him strongly saying, stay with us. So he went in. And when, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, this should be a phrase that you recognize and remember, especially if you were here a week ago Thursday when we did Lord's Supper service. If anything, you might recognize it from reading just a few passages earlier. Jesus did this very thing at the Lord's Supper. He sat down, he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Um, you think in this repetitious experience, all of a sudden the guys are recognizing something? Maybe God was waiting for this moment to pull back the keep part of recognition and say, okay, now I'm going to let you recognize. Just watch what happens because this is what it says. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Uh, his, their eyes were open. Not they opened their eyes. God opened their eyes, right? It's a passive action. It's done to them. Uh, their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It kind of sounds like they, they pass out the bread and they're like, oh wow, this is the same God. This is Jesus. And then he vanishes. Now, I don't know what vanishes me. Did he just like poof? Like it's a magician act, a cloud of smoke and whatever. Or was it like, hey, I gotta, I gotta use the restroom. I'll be right back. And, you know, did the Irish goodbye. You know, just after the restroom just kept going. I don't know. But why God do that? Why not stay? He's trying to let them react and figure out how they're going to respond. What are they going to do? How are you going to live after Easter? They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You know, I knew there was something about that guy. He was too smart. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, right, seven miles back, and they found the 11, okay, remember, we talked about that earlier, and those who were with them, gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Ooh. Maybe Simon's the second guy. Maybe Simon's Cleopas's other name. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Guys, I know you didn't want to listen to the ladies when they came and said it. And I know you're confused because the other disciples ran and found the body missing. 
and the stone rolled away. Now we've got a third experience. They always come in threes, right? What are the disciples having trouble with now? They're having trouble with it explaining it away. Because now we have these ladies, at least five, I jokingly, I like to say it was eight ladies, but that's because the history of our church. Anyways, that's a funnier story for another time. Eight-ish ladies, a couple disciples, now two other guys on the road. We'll call them Cleopas and Simon. Now we're having trouble explaining what, what happened and what's really going on. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. It's, it's uh, hours, if not moments, um, past Easter, and uh, these two guys are walking down the road, and uh, Jesus decided, he just randomly decides to show up. Was, was he bored? Well, I did the whole salvation thing and crucifixion and conquering of death. I wonder what I'm going to do now. I think I'll go for a walk. Oh, look, a couple guys. Huh, maybe I'll talk to them. Does God do random? I love it. God doesn't do random, folks. It's like that great scene from uh, the Bourne movies where all the smart people with all the computers are in the big head control room and they're trying to figure out what the agent is doing. And the one handler who'd been dealing with all the agents all the time, the one, Nikki, she said, oh, there's, there's not random. Agents don't do random. Well, like, well, what's going on? And she says, scary version? Do you want to know the scary version of what's going on? Folks, I think that's what we got to look like. We got to look at. We got to think about. What's a scary version of what could be going on now? That God's shown up on the scene still that he's not done yet, that he has an agenda, and he will make it happen. He's an agent. I love it. Uh, because it puts us in a position to now ask some fun questions, better questions. Rather than, oh, salvation solved, I guess we could move on to, uh, what do you want to do? Anything we want? No. If salvation is solved, if death is solved, if all these things are true, we're in a whole different game now. All the rules have changed. Love that. If the rules have changed, what are they? Let's look at them. Uh, what does life after Easter look like? Life after the cross. And uh, we picked out a verse, uh, verse 15. I really like this verse uh, of these you know, 23 verses. Um, verse 15 says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I, I love that mostly because of what does it say about the character of God? Does he want to be involved? Say yes. Does he actively get involved? Yes. Does he show up in the scene? Oh, I love that. I wish the NBA would do it more. Player coaches, right? You know, there's reasons that that doesn't happen in a human environment with a human coach and a human player, uh, but when we've got a God who can actually be on the scene, 
it's it's glorious. It's glorious. See, the first thing that we learn, and it's from that verse that I just read to you, is that Jesus is still working on the scene. He's still working on the scene. What's that force you to assume? There's work to be done. Wait, I thought it was finished. He said on the cross to the other two criminals, it is finished. Yeah. Was he talking about everything? Or he was just talking about that moment and the agenda of that night on that cross and what he was doing there? That was finished. The rest of the game is just beginning. We're in the first quarter. There's plenty of time on the clock. Who wants to play? Lace them up. Jump in the game. See, we got to ask this question is, is uh, what's going on in the scene? And too often we come up with our own idea about what's going on in the scene and what should go on in the scene. And then we start emailing or talking to people or avoiding people or whatever it is to try and manipulate what's going on. And what, what if we eliminate, pull ourselves out of the scene and let happen whatever needs to happen? What if you don't influence what's going on? That'd be interesting because then you'd really see what God's trying to do. It's, it's kind of like, let's, let's pay attention to the obvious of where this is going. I have an older Suburban. Now, I love this vehicle. Um, not because it's shiny and perfect and everything works correctly. It's older. Some things don't work. But it's comfortable. It's smooth. It's spacious. I can load seven people and a bunch of stuff. It's so great. And, you know, it, it's not a sports car. Not meant to be. But it's not a minivan either. Right? I've become a little anti-minivan. It's not a truck. So you don't beat it up. It's got air conditioning and stereo works and all the main stuff. And and it's a big it's a big piece of machinery, which is why I, I couldn't understand why the squirrel. How could the squirrel miss me? How come he couldn't miss me? I'm driving down the road. I'm not going fast. I'm not going slow. I'm relaxed, comfortable. Here comes a squirrel. How's this story end, folks? I'm getting closer. He's getting more into the road. I get even closer. He's out in the middle of the road. I'm getting right up on him. Where's this end? I've been trying to teach my kids this, and everybody who will listen, never walk in front of something that can kill you. If it's running, don't walk behind it. If those little bright white lights are on, don't walk behind that. Because when you crash with that vehicle, the vehicle always wins. It's, it's one of the only undefeated things in all reality, right? What are the only undefeated things? God, time, and, uh, and, and collisions, man, and vehicle. Right, vehicle is 
And I get up to this, I'm right there, and and he he booked. I mean, he just, and he's gone. i never seen a squirrel move so fast. Why? He was oblivious to the fact that I was on the scene. I could end him like that. I mean, if I had pushed the gas a little, Scott, you're so dark. No, I have the love of Jesus in my heart. I did not push the gas pedal. But it's a little bit like sometimes we're going through life thinking, yeah, I'm just going to do my own thing, and yeah, the car will slow down. You ever been in, in a parking lot where somebody you're driving through the parking lot and somebody just walks right out in front of you, assuming you'll stop? I was driving the other day. This one was really weird. I almost tried to stop and get a picture of it, but I, wasn't, I couldn't pull over fast enough and turn around and then get a picture. But a guy was jogging up the road in my lane in the middle of the road. And just jogging at me. Where I, 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 I slowed down because I was like wondering what was going on. And he wasn't moving. I slowly pulled off to the side into the middle, crossing the line. And he kept jogging. And I slowly pulled back in and was watching what was going on. Like, I'm glad I was paying attention. I hope every other car that's coming is paying attention because... He's acting like cars aren't on the scene. We got to remember, folks, we live on the road, and God's a car. And he's still working. He's still doing things. What's amazing about it is if you figure it out and jump in the car, you can have air conditioning and music and heated seats, and you can go a lot farther. It can be amazing. Or you don't. See, because number two, belief is based on what God has said instead of what we think. These two guys are walking down the road, verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They're functioning on their own thinking rather than realizing, wait, maybe there's something beyond me that I should be addressing conforming to I love that something that was said there and I guarantee I've read it twice to you now once when we went through the passage now when reading the verse and I guarantee you missed it ready for it third time you're going to catch it why because I'm going to drill it into you here it comes slow of heart to believe wait do I believe with my heart or do I believe with my head Ooh. slow of heart to believe what you know. You don't feel like you want to go with what you know. Jesus says, you know everything you want and need to know. But your heart is hard, slow of change. You know, the Bible uses that phrase all the time. Oh, heart of heart. At what point can you change how you feel to say, I'm going to go with what God says rather than what I think? And I'm going to start doing that. See, that's when it starts to work. As long as you try to function on what you think is, is you're going to be sitting around wasting time getting nothing done. I'm on the work site. Sergio says, hey, can you frame all the windows and then trim all the windows? Now, I've done this before. 
It was great. On most construction sites, if a construction guy asks me a question, usually I have to answer no. This one, he says, hey, can you frame and trim the windows? <gasps> I've been going for 20 years, and I've done this a bunch of times. I think I might be able to pull this one off, finally. He says, great. Wood's over there. Chop saw's over there. Extension cord's here. A generator's over there. Get the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I got this. In fact, I pulled someone in with me, and I was starting to show them how to do it, too. And we're going along, and, and, uh, and you, 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 the chop saw, you, you pull the button, and the saw starts going. That's the sound it makes, by the way. And then you cut the wood, and you're, you know, and then you, and you got to measure and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to skip all that to the point where I reached up, and I pulled the button, and nothing. Oh, no. I'm listening. I can hear the generator going. So I know there's power. There's a cord coming from the generator all the way over to here to a power strip and all the chargers for all the little Makita drills and stuff is plugged into that. There's like 17 things. I'm sure there's some electrical violations going on here. But again, do you know what those electrical violations are, Scott? No. I see a cord coming from that over to my chop saw cord and it's plugged in and I'm trying to figure out, and wait, are there lights on the chargers? Because that would say that they have power I can't figure this. I'm walking around trying to check all these different things. I know there's a construction guy here who wants to ask me, well, Scott, did you walk all the way over to the generator and make sure that the plug was still in the generator? Because the generator shakes for hours. (laughs) And with the shaking for hours over time, the little two-pronged plug that's been used for years and it's a miracle still works, shakes its way and falls onto the ground. And now you have a generator going, tremendous power, enough to, to supply the whole job site. And we have no access to it. Why? Because you think it should just work. Well, if I just pull the button, it's just the saw is supposed to come on. When it doesn't come on, what, hey, what's wrong? Instead of staying plugged in and recognizing that there's a system for how this works. You know, God has the system for how it's worked. And that's why we would say, number three, understanding comes from his interpretation. Not our own. Comes from his interpretation. Not our own. You see? It says in beginning, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted. Did they have an interpretation already? They sure did. Where did it lead him? Oh, well, he was mighty in word and deed, and he kind of got in trouble with the chief priest, but we had thought he was going to save Israel. Guess not, because it's three days later, and what do we have? How accurate was their interpretation? It was 90%. And they missed the most important 10%. Right? So is there there mostly wrong, kind of wrong, or there's just wrong? It either works or it doesn't. That's what I love about math. I loved math in school. Well, let me rephrase. I was very good at math, and it made sense. I hated math. (laughs) I just didn't want to do it. It was work, right? But what I loved about it, there was an answer. 
equations had an answer. If you do the math, you come up with an answer. And I'm kind of wondering if God works that way sometimes. He's got an equation. It's his interpretation. Just because you think it should go this way, if you're not listening to the coach, guess what? It's not going to work. I want to let you in on a little secret. I coach soccer. That's not a secret, Scott. No, I'm going I'm to let you in on a secret. The thing I have said more than anything ever in all of my coaching. I was thinking about this. I had all week, actually a week and a half, to think about this. I'm going I'm to give up a trade secret. One of the best things that I have done, I say it all the time. I said it more than anything else, probably two to one or more in my coaching. It's really simple. Ready? Sub, ref. Ref, ref. Sub, sub. Stop the game. Ref. Sub, ref. Hey, ref. Right? What am I, I'm trying to get his attention, right? Why? Somebody got to come off the field. Why? Oh, because someone uh, equal playing time. We need to get someone else in the field. Nope. You ask anybody. Does Coach Berglund do equal playing time? Nope, never has. There's people in our community that hate me because of it. Amen. Uh, because somebody has to come off the field. Why? They're not following what the rest of the team is doing. Or they're not in shape. Or they're not paying attention. Or they're trying to pick a fight. or so they're, they're off the game plan. And, and I do it multiple, multiple times in a game. Sub ref. I've learned there's a, there's an even more fun way to do it. Hey Don, call for a sub. Get Freddie out of there, and I let Don do it or someone else do it. Right? Well, I don't even have to do it. But what's going to happen for sure? They're coming off the field, and and almost every time, coach, what's going on? What? You're not listening. Well, we work on at practice yesterday. Before I put you in the match, when I subbed the last guy out who wasn't doing what they were supposed to do, what did I tell you? I want you to stay to the outside, make sure number five doesn't get outside of you. Where was out number five on the last play? Outside of me. So I'm not sure what you were thinking about or doing. What I know is I'm going to let Freddie go in. Yes, I subbed Fred out, and I subbed Freddie in. We had two Freds, okay? I'm making this up. And we're going to see if he will follow the interpretation of what the whole team's working on. You see, understanding comes through his interpretation, not our own. It's kind of like I like to joke that um, when, when God talks to Job and his buddies, he says to them, because like, they start questioning God, right? Which, by the way, is a very dangerous practice sometimes. Other times it's glorious if you're authentic. But you want to oppositionally question God. He might do like he did to Job and his buddies and say, can you measure the heavens with your hand? Have you placed the stars? Do you know where behemoth sleeps? Do you control the sun and the moon? Uh, who are you? What do you know? What do you know? And sometimes we need to ask the question, is God asking us that? 
Is God in heaven looking down at us? Scott, what do you know? What, what are you doing? Stop doing that. You're acting like you know something. What do you really know? Won't you cooperate with that person or listen or shut up or speak up or show up or most of the stuff he tells me has the word up in it. Sit up, shut up, show up, right? Speak up. Uh, the problem is we go through, go through most of our life with the exact same phrase, what do you know? But we think God's saying it differently. We think God's in heaven and Adam and Eve, you know, get intimate for the first time and he's up there going, well, what do you know? I didn't expect that. I want to put two different uh, groups of people in a close proximity and they start fighting and God's up there going, oh, what do you know? Like he's somehow surprised with the stuff that we come up with. Or that we could come up with something better than what he's already ordained. No. Jesus shows up on the scene after Easter, after the cross, walks on the road with these guys and says, hey guys, what do you know? He doesn't show up on the scene and go, oh, what do you know? Fancy meeting you here. See, we, we have to be looking for what is his interpretation and always questioning what do we know. Because he knows everything. Right? Lastly is this. Uh, realizing relationship with Jesus has a process. Verse 31, after Jesus has come, walked with them, explained to them the scriptures, called them fools, done all this different stuff, he Verse 31, it says, and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Uh, God kept them from recognizing for a while. I asked you why. None of you could answer it. Now you can. Because God wanted you to go through a process. Because process is not about one event where they're walking and Jesus walks up and they go, bling, and the light bulb goes off and, oh, no, I understand. No, it's a process. It takes time. It takes experience. It takes you letting go of your own ideas. It takes you engaging your heart in the things you're uncomfortable with or you're trying to oppose and saying, I'm going to do this wrestling match. I'm going to walk along this road for a while. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to let him explain. I'm actually going to listen and I'm going to get through this process to a better place rather than I just want my combo meal. Here's my five bucks. Have you figured out what you get from a $5 combo meal? About all you get is $5 poorer. Because we're trading value. It might be warm. You'll get salt, sugar, and fat for sure. But what are you really getting? At some point, we have to start asking that question because process is more than one event. And process matters. Process matters. Because you can't be in a relationship and let one event define it. Why? Why not, Scott? You don't understand my relationship. You don't understand what he did to me. You don't understand what she said to me. You know what? I don't care. 
Here's the reason why one event doesn't define, define your relationship. Because one of these times, you're going to be the one guilty of the one event. Can I get a amen? Sometimes we're the ones in a moment that make a mistake. Always it takes many moments and many events for us to develop a pattern and recognize process and see character and validate and understand and discern and engage and question all the fun things that take time. And I alluded to this earlier. Time is one of the only things that's undefeated. You cannot define your marriage by a event. You cannot define your job, your work environment, the people that you work with, any of them, by one event or one position that they hold. Mostly because you don't want anybody to ever do that to you. But as important, they might change their position. They might actually need you at some point or want to cooperate with you or you might actually need them. And to write people off for one event, one statement, one missed opportunity is called lazy and weak on our part. And I see it in the church all the time. Well, such and such happened, that's it. Really? That that was it? After everything? That's it? Oh, please tell me 10 years ago, because I could have left 10 years ago. That's it has happened every stinking week of my ministry. That's it, that one event, that crossing, that comment, that email event, that social media post, that misunderstanding of a statement in a sermon, that you didn't show up to such and such event. That happened so many times to me at this point. I, I don't know. <laughs> Glad that's over. It was bound to happen. Why? I create all kinds of events. And I've stopped worrying about events. If you mess up, God love you. Show up, have a coffee with me. Maybe I'll give you a hug. I don't know. Maybe you're not a hugger. Maybe you don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to somebody else. Great, we'll connect you with them. Whatever. But just because you have a bad event, just because your Lord and Savior was whipped, beaten, condemned, crucified, and you can't find the body, that's just a couple events. And think about it in terms of this. To God, they really are just a couple events. They're just a couple little things that happened. And he's like, well, let's go walk with the boys on the road. And I'm going to show up again at this thing. And now I'm going to start doing this. And I'm going to build churches. And I'm going to be involved in culture. And I'm going to, I'm going to look throughout the whole earth, to and fro, Scripture says, for those whose hearts are truly after me. Where your heart is not slow to believe. And you say, nothing can stop me. That's when your relationship with the Lord is doing something. I love Sergio to death. He just lost his brother 
And he worked every single day this week with us on a job site so that somebody could have a house. Because he refused to let an event define him. No, we're all going to struggle with that. Because the loss of a family member, a loss of a marriage, a loss of a job, they hurt. Those events are real. There's work to do on those things. And there's plenty of people that want to work on those things. And those things can define you for a little while. The question is, how long will you let them define you? And when will you decide to define them rather than let them define you? Because then I think you're getting closer to the actual process of a relationship with the Lord. That's when it really gets fun. It's just like the houses that we, we built. We Americans, we go down to work with Sergio and Dennis and some of these people. We get so frustrated because they pour the concrete and they're doing it this way. It's like, that's oh, so inefficient. You know, they could do it this way. And they go, no, 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 no. Do it the way we told you. Because we, when we pour the concrete and we do it, there's like seven different steps in the concrete thing, the way they do it down there. Oh, my gosh, it's exhausting. So, no, we do it this way. Why? Well, because when, when we put up the walls, then we can blah, blah. And by the way, when we do the walls, do them the way we told you. Because we put up the walls this way so that when we put the roof on and the trusses, that they line up. And, and by the way, when you put the trusses on, Put them on this way. Don't put them on that way. Why? Because when the trusses are on this way, then it's easier to put the lathing up. The lathing goes up a certain way. Why? So that when we put the stucco on, the stucco could go on the right way. And by the way, when you do the stucco, watch out for the windows. Why? Because we like our windows to work. And we do the stucco in such a way so that it stays and it dries correctly. Why? Because at the end, you have a house. And I love, I love that process because it absolutely ignores everything that I think. It says, this is the way we do it. If you don't want to do it, go away. But this is the way we're going to do it. If you do it another way, it won't work and there won't be a house. Even better is what I think I've heard Jan say pretty much every time somebody hands keys. We'll do a presentation. We give them rice and beans and oil and sugar and salt and all this different stuff. It's all symbolic. And then we let somebody in our group hand them keys. And, and Jan almost always says something like this. We built your house. Now you get to work at making it a home. It's not a home the moment you open the door. Home, I know you're going to say, is where the heart is. Don't, no, no. Home is something that you do over time, right? Amen? Uh, where are you in the relationship with the Lord? Is he calling for sub? Sub ref, I need to get Berglund out of there. He's not paying attention. He's off on his own. Or has God got you next to him saying, hey, are you ready to go in? Because I'm taking Berglund off the scene and I need you in there. I need you to do the stuff that you can do that I've gifted you. I want to put you in the game. Or... Let's, let's not go always with extremes. Yeah, either got to come out of the game or you got to go into the game. How about we do this? How about you're in the game and you're playing your position and you're doing fairly well? You're not the greatest, but you're not the worst. But you're trying and you're sticking with it. What do you need to stick with it? What, what part of the process can you enjoy? Because you've got a uniform and you're in the game and you're doing stuff. And, 
and coach isn't calling for your sub. How cool is that? How about we look at that? Because when the Sergios and the Scots of this world look at it that way, we can find amazing life after the cross. Father God, thank you for what we get to experience with you. I thank you that this last week was just a glimpse at it in so many different ways. I just thank you that, Lord, you, that you're on the scene, that you, you do have a system that works, a process, that your inter interpretation is something that we do have access, that we can get if we'll put the effort in and ask some questions, be open to the input of others, that you can work in many, many ways. Sometimes we say even in mysterious ways because it's beyond our heart and beyond our mind. I pray you would train us to be looking for that. I pray, Lord, that you'd be prompt in each one of us in specific ways about how you want us to engage. What work do you want us to do? You, know, you, you might be here this morning and you know you're not, you haven't been in the game. And maybe you're watching at home and maybe this is, you're not even watching on Sunday. Maybe it's days from now and you're on YouTube and you're realizing, I need to figure out how I'm going to, what, what do I need to work on? What, what does God have me here for? Know this, you're the perfect candidate. You're the perfect candidate. Just ask him. And then instead of looking for one event, big change, look for the process, the gradual incline. Father, we thank you for all of this. We, we thank you for this offering that we're about to receive and so many other things that we, we should be able to name all of them if we had time, but the nursery, the new office, the, we got a lawn, Lord. Thanks for that, a little green in our life. Uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless um, yourself and your church through the way your people pursue you. And I, I pray that this offering works towards that. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. May the cross be the beginning for you. Amen? Amen. Go with him. <laughs>